Alright, well for episode 113, my cat is going to stare at me the entire time I'm recording. Hey buddy, is that what you're going to do? Yes it is. For episode 113, we're going to talk about editing. And it's going to be not your typical editing episode, especially I would say this is going to be dissimilar to the editing episodes that we've done. Uh, Latif had this idea of just the importance of kind of knowing what you're doing while you're editing. And I said that that would be a really interesting idea, considering that the only thing I've ever edited is a 55-second short that I made on my cell phone. And Latif knows basically everything about editing. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I would. You're making a a huge mistake. (laughs) Yeah, I'm talking you up big time. You better deliver, Latif. If at any point during this episode I ask a question and your response is, I don't know, then that is unacceptable. We'll start recording from the top again. Yeah. (laughs) Scrap the whole episode. This is crap. So, um, I guess just to start off, like... When the to float the idea of the importance of knowing what you're doing during editing to you, what goes through your brain as an experienced editor? I think the first thing is to really just know how the program that you're using works. So it does it doesn't really matter what program it is, but you have to kind of understand how it functions. I've been using Premiere for. A very long time now as my main editing uh, software but uh, you know I actually learned Avid in the very beginning and then after about a year I, I moved to Premiere because I, I didn't really find Avid to be as useful for the kind of work I was doing. Yeah I was gonna ask why did you choose Premiere? I mean I know it's it's a powerhouse of a program, but why that over anything else? And why do you continue to use that instead of going to something else? Well, it's a, it's a newer program, and there's a lot of um, functionality in terms of the, the kind of applications you can use with it. You know, it integrates with After Effects really well. Um, you can use it with Audition, you know, which I'm recording this podcast on right now. What is that? Uh, Audition is just like the audio um, tool that comes with Creative Cloud. So it's specifically for audio recording and mixing and stuff like that. Um, You know, a lot of people probably use it for podcasts, but they're all part of Creative Cloud. But Creative Cloud kind of integrates all these tools together. So you can like send an audio clip to Audition or send a composition from After Effects into Premiere or something like that. So there's a lot of... Um, apps on the side that you can use along with Premiere. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I liked using it. Would you say that it allows you to be creative? Yeah. (laughs) 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 Well, it's in the name, right? So, sorry, what drew you to that one? Is that what drew you to it at first? Or is that what kind of keeps you there? Or I guess both? Well, it it definitely helps with like the work I, I continue to do, like I'm always jumping into After Effects and stuff, and I use Photoshop a lot as well. And all these are part of a you know a subscription plan, so you can use them all, um, part of like the the same tool set. 
so you don't have to just be like I need to use Premiere and as well as these things like I use Photoshop all the time just um, on its own um, so it, it's a package deal that that's kind of nice and um, mm. you know the monthly subscription is pretty affordable um, and it you know it's tax deductible as a as a business expense as well but uh, Avid is just I think at the time was a one-time payment and you get to own the software but I think it was like a, around a thousand and it was a little steep right after right out of film school to just drop a thousand on something like that yeah. um, you know at the time I think premier subscription was like thirty dollars or something so <laughs> a little bit cheaper yeah so in, you know even in a year subscription you'd pay like a tenth of what Abbott would cost so over time it, it just made more sense um, and if you don't want to use it you can just cancel your subscription to the to the cloud and then get it again when you want to use it again so it kind of made sense but you know I've been using it straightforward ever since it's just um, I'm always jumping into some program in Adobe but you know Avid has its benefits it's got a very strong um, kind of structuring for inputting um, footage and stuff and a lot of like people who edit TV shows and I'm sure a lot of people who do movies edit on the Avid still but it's just a really old software it, it looks kind of stupid and it doesn't really have any tools for color and stuff as well um, it, it's not. It's strictly, a, I would say, just an editing tool. Um, but you know, Premiere had, uh, sorry, not Premiere. Adobe had SpeedGrade, which was like a dedicated color correction software. And really early on, I was using Speed SpeedGrade for grading stuff quite a bit, and I thought it was a really cool program. Um, it had a lot of bugs and stuff, and and would crash. But um, that's kind of where I first learned about color grading which is speed grade and then they got rid of that and started to introduce color tools into premiere itself so i could like cut stuff and then do some color work on the actual footage in premiere which i thought was really cool so to me it's just like a really versatile app and there's a lot of people out there who are like oh it's crashing and it does all this stuff and i honestly haven't had that many issues with premiere like crashing and stuff like that but i think it, it also has to do with the machine you work on so that's kind of, yeah, that's the reason I chose it. Yeah, even when I was editing that 55-second short there, if I had a timeline that was over, call it four minutes, you know, all it takes front to back kind of thing. So obviously a 55-second short can't be four minutes, but with all this shit jammed in the timeline, if I had over four minutes, my computer would crash every time. And it doesn't have anything to do with the program I was using or the files, I assume, from my phone. It's the fact that I'm working on a base model computer that's six years old. You know, that weighs heavily on these programs, which really require a lot out of the machine you're using. You can't just go buy some pile of crap and expect it to be magical and do everything you want. Yeah, there's a lot of that, though. There's a lot of people who are like... Uh, Premiere keeps crashing on my crappy Dell laptop. What the hell, Premiere? It's like, well, maybe <laughs> it's your laptop. <laughs> I was only editing on a first-generation iPhone. 
Yeah, but y- y- you know, even then, like the the actual file format and all that it does play a big part in how well your NLE is going to perform. You know, if yeah, the size of everything and whatnot. Yeah, because like you know, MP4s are not editing um, editing formats. They're they're used as like you know the capture format for a lot of cell phones, but it's like a really mm-hmm. crappy like codec to use in a in an editing program. You know, if you had a ProRes or a DNX HD, that's going to play back way smoother in the editing program. You throw a bunch of MP4s in there, it's going to really be a shitty um, codec to actually play back and, and cut with. Um, it's, it's more of a format that you would export out to, but not really something you want to use as an editing format. But, you know, that's just another thing that, that you have to factor in. Yeah, totally. Um... So I think for the the sake of this conversation, it would be quite beneficial if we do it in a style where I'm largely either asking you questions or explaining how my first editing foray went down and you can just shine some of your ethereal knowledge on it and, you know, add in little tidbits of information as you see fit. Um, So... To start with that, like I mentioned, I did that 55-second short. I shot it on my OnePlus phone, which realistically has okay cameras at best. Um, and then, you know, you shoot the movie and you start putting it, or even before you put it together, the first question always is, how are you going to do that, right? So I ended up going with DaVinci Resolve. I'm not going to lie. The, the only reason I did it, sorry, two reasons, was A... It was free, like they have a paid version, which obviously I wasn't going to buy because it's a 55-second short Mm -hmm. and I'm probably never going to edit on this computer again. And B, people said it was pretty good. So like even just based off that, what's your thought on not DaVinci specifically, but just people get into editing? Because I'm sure this is a universal question. Everyone asks it when they're going to start editing something. Mm -hmm. What do I do it on? So, what do they do it on? Uh, well, I, I probably will be a little biased and say Premiere. You know, I just shot a um, short film with someone and they're like, yeah, I'm going to cut it in DaVinci Resolve. And I've never used DaVinci Resolve to edit anything. But I know they've integrated a new editing um, workspace into Resolve, which is actually really useful and probably a smart thing on their part. But I haven't used it in terms of editing. But the few times I've, I've you know, had to do something with it. I um, didn't know the keyboard shortcuts on off the top of my head, so was, I was a little slow with it, and I was actually clicking the buttons, which is, like, something I would never never have to do in Premiere. But uh, I'm sure when you take the time to learn, um, it, it'll be totally fine, because Resolve is a really robust and, and strong piece of software. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, it would be a good recommendation for a free really high-end software for anyone to mess around with. Yeah, totally. And I think this one's going to jump ahead a little bit, but I think it's a natural progression to the question. When do you think people should start paying for the software? Like, when's that line of, okay, I've been using free shit, now I shouldn't use free shit anymore? Well, there's a certain limitation with free software. Uh 
you know, you, you can't do everything with free software. There's some things that, you know, you can't unlock until you pay for the full version. Yeah. Or there's just some free software like, you know, Windows Movie Maker, which is a super run-of-the-mill generic home video editing software. You can do, like, the most basic shit in it. But once you want to do... It's probably pretty terrible, too, I would imagine. Well, terrible in terms of, like, there's not a lot of functionality. If you want to basically edit a clip and put it onto a timeline, that's totally fine. But if you want to start doing transitions and keyframing and making masks, and those are all tools that you'll you'll have to jump into at some point for, for any, you know, narrative work that you're going to do. Um, Windows Movie Maker is not going to satisfy that. So once you want to do a little more and be a little more creative and not have to think about if the software is going to, you know, have the tools to do that. That's when you want to pay for better, um, higher end software. So, you know, I have Resolve Studio, um, and I use it for color correction and stuff, but the, the full software has so much more functionality than the light version, the free version. You know, there's access to so many more different tools and, and functions and, um, the type of, uh, export functions are also very different. You're limited in the free version and the types of files and sizes you can export. And I think once you start doing professional work as well, when you start working for other people, you should get the proper software. Because at some point, if a client's like, I need this file format, and you're like, I can't, I only have the free version. You'll, you know, it'll look really stupid on your end. Like you want to have the, the capability to at least do the standard things that people are going to expect if you're going to um, charge people for work and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's totally fair. Um, one thing that keeps... Okay, I'm going to come back to that. At the end of this, mm -hmm. like I think at the end of every episode, we always do a, you know, do you have anything to add before we we end the episode mm -hmm. i will have one question at the end don't let me forget about that okay sure. all right so from davinci resolve like i decided that was my program you start doing what you can basically right mm -hmm. and i'm the kind of person especially with digital stuff where the second i can't figure something out i'm insanely tempted to either call someone or send them a text and just say, how do I do this? Like my inner desire to say, no, no, I can figure this out. It'll just take a little time. I don't have any of that shit. Mm. <laughs> like, if something doesn't work first try the way that I think it should, I very quickly revert to, I should just call someone. And I find myself fighting that urge. And something that I learned going through this very short editing process is I think it's a really good thing to fight that urge because the entire time that I was doing that short, I knew I had you, like I could just call you and say, Hey Latif, I've run into a snag. Can you help me? And you know, you're a nice guy. So I knew you would try to, but I didn't want to do that 10,000 times. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm only going to do this if I truly get stuck. And what I'd learned is you can Google fucking anything and you might not get your answer right away, but if you dig hard enough, and most of the time it's only going to take you like two to ten minutes, you can get your answer. So when 
a newbie goes into something like this, Latif, what is your recommendation? Like, would you just say, like, straight up, listen, dude, go to YouTube? Or what's the best way to really learn this stuff? It, and a broad question, but what do you think? I don't think YouTube is the first place to learn. I think YouTube is a place to go if there's something very specific you want to learn and you don't know how to. But I do think YouTube is a really bad place to learn how to do things incorrectly. So that's where, I, where I'd avoid going to YouTube because, mm. you know, there's a certain way that I like to work and I think it's the correct way to work, especially when you're working on narrative projects. But that's something that I learned from an editor, um, from another editor. Um, and it was his workflow and the way he would set up projects. So I learned that from them. But if I went to YouTube and did it the way that a lot of people show on YouTube, I would I probably would have a really shitty, messy um, workflow. There are certain tools and aspects of like a of um, a software that allow you to do things in an efficient way. And there's sometimes there are things that allow you to do them in a in um, something that will favor a clean project and something that will favor clarity when someone else looks at it or something and not just the fastest way there, there you know there's always a fast way to do something but sometimes you want to do it in a way that makes the most sense you know for future use and i i tend to lean that way because you know you could just drop clips into premiere and then just throw them into the timeline and start editing but when you have like 500 clips that's not how you want to work you know, when you have a features film worth of footage, you don't want to just drop stuff into a project and just start throwing them onto the timeline. There's a lot of like metadata and logging and stuff like that that needs to happen as well. So there's there's different steps to it. So I, I would recommend going to YouTube when there's like, how do I make a mask? You know, you could go to YouTube for that. But, it, but if it's like, how do I start a project with like a million files? You want to really start to learn, learn the software and a good way to to go is to actually maybe look on like the Adobe learning page or whatever, where they show you like the tools that you can use for stuff like that. So, you know, Google is your friend, but not all the time. Yeah, I would say that's totally fair. So just, I got to ask it based off that, what is the right way? And can you give some examples of the wrong way? The, the right way of what? Of like you mentioned that you do your timeline and your um, organization in a way that you would consider the right way and that you fear YouTube might teach the wrong way. So like what are what's the way that you do it and what are the some some of the ways that you've seen where you're like that's not good. I don't like that. Well, if, you know, for example, say you're say you're making a new sequence for something. You know, often like in a YouTube tutorial, you'll see people just like drop their drop a bunch of clips into like the project folder and then just start throwing them onto the timeline. Whereas like what I like to do is create sub clips. Often I have to sync audio and video as well. And I, I do it manually by looking at the slate and syncing it with the sound from the sound recorder. And I watch the whole picture and 
that way I can sync the sound and the audio, but also get to watch the take. So it's kind of like doing dailies for me. So I can look at the take and as I'm syncing it, I can be like, that was a good take and write that in the, as the subclip name, you know, take seven, you know, no good or something like that. And, you know, it takes long to do it that way, but you really get to know your footage. And for me personally, I, I think it's um, the best way to make sure that there's no like fuck ups. Whereas you can automate these kind of things. There's a there's software out there that can like sync all your audio and video very quickly, but there there will always be mistakes in that. Um, and at the same time, when you're making a film, you want to watch all the footage that you've shot, so you know what you're working with. So that's why I like to do things like that manually. You know, when we did what we don't say, I synced all the audio and the sound manually, shot by shot, and I watched every take of the movie. So. Some people might be like, I don't want to do that. Is there a way to just like click a button and it all happens? There's probably tools out there that can do that, but I don't recommend working that way. I think being an editor is not just knowing how to edit, but also having a very strong and structured workflow where you know the footage inside out as well. So that's just how I would approach that. But then I'd put all the clips into you know different folders. I'd create folders for different cuts of the movie for sound, for music, and all that kind of stuff. And I usually label them with numbers, so they're kind of coded top to bottom by, you know, folder one is 01 current cut, and then 02 archive cut for all my archive cuts of the film. 03 is raw footage, 04 is music, 05 is titles and graphics, 06 is, you know, naming and clearing, which I would use for actually making subclips, stuff like that, so, you know, some of these terms might not make sense, but it's really just about creating a very clear um, layout in your project folder that you can look at, know where everything is. I don't have to like dig around and look at like a hundred things to find one thing. Um, and when things are named properly, you can search for it very quickly too. Yeah, totally. I think that's great advice. Actually, one thing that came to mind, and it's less of a structural question and more of just a professional curiosity when you're running through these things so when i did this 55 second short i did the same thing you know i organized it the best i could which i'm sure if you were to look at it you'd be like this is a fucking disaster <laughs> but it worked okay for me um and when i'm watching these clips there's some i think no matter when you do a project you're going to get this some are just terrible you know for one reason or, or another something went wrong or it was the first take of whatever and, you know, the performance wasn't there, even though I'm not an actor, but you could tell some takes are much better than others, right? So when you're going through these things and it's the first time you're watching it and you're in that stage of getting to know the footage, if there's something that sticks out at you as just really, really bad, do you delete it so it's not even a, a possibility of going back to it or do you keep it in, you know, maybe an off chance that you can use three seconds of it, or maybe the audio happened, something in the audio at second four happened that could be cool, or do you just straight up wipe it off the face of the earth? No, I don't delete it. I keep it. I have everything archived in, in the project so that if, you know, when, even later in the edit, if I'm like, man, it'd be nice to have like a moment, and I look through even some of the bad takes, and you might find something that you can use there. So I never throw anything away. I think you can label it as not great, 
in brackets <laughs> so you know you know that's not a great take or label it with like focus is off or lighting is weird or not good performance um but i would never just completely throw it away because you never know what what you can do with it you know like the audio is an example like there are times where i take audio from another take and put it underneath a video from a from you know a take that i like which has maybe some audio issues or maybe the sound of the performance isn't exactly as i like it so you know th there's a lot of things you can do and even if you don't do anything it's good to have those takes say you're working with a director and they're like what happened to take four and you're like i deleted it i didn't like it <laughs> that would be you know kind of bad you want to have everything so that people can look at it and, and make choices because ultimately it's not just going to be one person especially if you're working on big, bigger projects so it's good to make sure everything is there yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more, and that's exactly what I did. One of the benefits that I f found, too, is it gives you an opportunity to try stuff. So in the short, I did a decent amount of, like, I just wanted to play and see what I found. I'm sure some of the stuff that I was going to find was going to be trash, but I wanted to find that to know that I had tried it and had confirmed my suspicions that it wouldn't be as good as a different way to do it so i did a lot of you know trying to cut things one way or trying to do this secret sequence differently even though it was only 55 seconds i wanted to really explore i kind of looked at it in a like doug lyman kind of way where like let's just fucking try everything and if you try everything then you're bound to find the best thing right mm -hmm. And even with that, there would be times where it was like well let's try cutting this sequence in the style of x and in order to do that, I had to go to takes previously, which I thought were total dog shit, even if it was just for like a quick little insert or something like that. And just going through that experiment of trying everything and sometimes reverting to takes that you never would have used going for option one, but the five seconds of it works really well for option six. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's a very valuable experience in really seeing what works best for your movie and in a sense really getting to know your movie yeah i think um you know it's important to watch every take and and really kind of like make choices that way i think that's the crucial part of an editor's job is to look at everything and then make choices based on you know all the all the things that are important for the movie you know is it a good performance is the lighting good? Is it in focus? You know, is the sound quality good on that one? Um, is the framing okay? You know, is there like an annoying extra in the background? Like you have to look at every single part of the frame and, and make a choice. And, you know, based on your analysis and, and you know, how you make those choices throughout the process is going to dictate how well your film is put together. You know, when you think of being an editor in the modern sense, I think people think the literal like cuts um, are, are what you're referring to. But I like to think of editing more more as like a selection process. I'm not editing the film as like um, I'm making cuts to this thing. I'm editing shots and moments. Um, even before I touch the keyboard, I'm making editing choices. I'm looking at things and saying that's going to work, that's going to work, and that's going to work. And then that's, that's you know, the, the thing you have to do 
that's what you have to do before you even put anything on a timeline. So you're editing in terms of like quality and in terms of what's going to work for the movie way before you're even touching the keyboard. You know, as you watch it, watch it, as you watch like six takes, you'll be editing in your head um, and making selections mentally about what you like, what you don't like. It'll be like little things, little movements, little gestures that you find interesting. And you have to have an eye for that kind of um, stuff when you're watching a movie, but that develops over time. It's not something you just learn through like a YouTube tutorial. That's really kind of like the, the heart of what an editor is, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's an incredible amount of style and... You need an ability to really focus a keen eye on something. You can't just say, like, here's four takes. Let's pick the best one. Here's kind of where it feels like I should cut. Okay, next. Like, it's a very involved process. And it's something that you need to feel quite a bit as well. Um, How do you, when you're editing a project, how do you deal with it when you get to a sequence or a scene and something about it just isn't working how do you go about trying to fix it and turn it into something that is working before you before getting to hopefully or hopefully you don't get to a point where you're like this isn't working to such a huge degree that it just has to go it oftentimes it depends on what the what the root problem is you know, sometimes it can be like a scene feels, you know, uninspired or boring or, you know, not maybe not even useful for the movie. So sometimes I'll just ask myself if I need the scene or if I'm, you know, cutting someone's movie out. Like, is this scene necessary? Is it helping? What is it doing? And and just diagnosing the problem to the person who created it and engaging what their answers are. And um, not not to sound mean, but like in a way, you're you're trying to t- detect any bullshit from the filmmaker. You're really trying to ask like what the reason they've written the scene or what the point of it is, and engaging whether it's a self indulgence or if they think it's valuable for the movie. And even if it's not valuable for the movie, if it's just something that they really, you know, like and something they really want to get across in the movie or in the story or whatever. You know, that's a valid way to go about it, too, I guess. But as an editor, you're really diagnosing what the underlying issue is with the scene. Um, but sometimes it's as simple as, like, you know, the delivery of a few lines felt inauthentic or, you know, your perception of um, of, uh, of the tone or the speed um, is it could go faster or it could be a little more somber or, or you know less emotional and explosive and maybe in taking a different direction and you can really make those changes just through selection of shots so i think it's just finding out what the underlying issue is and then taking the steps to to maybe take in a different direction so just to throw a hypothetical out there Say you're sitting with a director, and before he's arrived, you've determined that you don't think scene X should stay in the movie. You do your kind of bullshit test with him or her, and 
you get the vibe that they really want this scene to stay in the movie, but everything about the scene to you is saying that it doesn't work. How do you proceed? Do you try and re-edit it and shuffle it in a way where hopefully you can get to some kind of middle ground where it's in there, but you've hacked it down as much as you can? Or what's your... And it's obviously very... Each case is its own. But generally, like, how is your experience of that gone? Well, like, I, I don't... I try not to bullshit the person I'm working with. So I'm not going to be like, oh, it's fine or... Yeah, it's good. If I don't feel that way, if I'm like, there's something wrong here, if I don't really like something, I'll say it and make it clear. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I don't always get my way. Sometimes a a director will be very adamant about a certain thing or a certain angle or whatever or or using a a certain line because they really like it or something. And I'll be like, ah, I don't think that's strong. I don't think it works. Maybe we should just cut that section out. Um, So, you know, you are negotiating these things, but... You know, I think maybe I might be a little aggressive at times. There'll be times when I'm doing a cut on something and I just cut something out of the movie. And I won't even tell the director. And then if they watch the movie and they're like, that's great. And then they're happy and they don't notice that I've cut something out of the film. Then it's probably working. Um, there there are times when someone will be like, oh, what happened to that moment? I was like, oh, I just got rid of it. I, I didn't think it worked. And I'll be like, oh, can we try adding adding that back in? Um, and oftentimes when we've added the thing that I've cut out back in, it usually doesn't work or, or doesn't really feel right. And I've had that actually with the short film I was cutting for someone recently where there's a small moment in the movie that the director felt like, oh, it's really going to connect and make people like feel something. And I remember that I cut that just right out of the movie. And I felt like the movie just played so much better without this kind of sentimental moment that lasts like five seconds. And and the director was adamant that we put it back in. And every time I see the movie, everything is very tight. And I see that one scene and it sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that moment feels so weird. But, you know, it's one of those things like ultimately the director is going to make the final choice. So you have to negotiate and and really state why you believe something works or doesn't work. Um, I don't think you can simply just be like, ah, I don't like that. You have to really be clear and communicate what your reasons are for something. And I, I think that's a big part of the job, too, is ha- having that ability to have those kind of conversations with whoever you're working with. Yeah, totally. I mean, that even happened on what we don't say. There was, for those that have seen the movie, um, the first time you meet the character of Amy is when they're at the beach. And initially, maybe two minutes before that, there was a little kind of introductory scene Mm -hmm. between her and Juliet. And it was just them sitting in a car. They went to go pick up the lead character, Ben. And when Latif did his editor's pass, it wasn't there. And I didn't even notice. (laughs) I think we had picture lock and it was going to sound. And I watched it one more time and was like, wait a minute, where is this scene? So I called Latif. And we had a conversation and I remember you were like, look, we can put it back in. I'm not dying to have it back in there, but you know, if we're going to do it now would be the time. And it's like, okay, let me think about it. And I think it's the responsibility of everyone involved with the project. Like I always say, it's not about making 
your ego bigger. It's not about saying you're right. Everyone there is to make the best movie possible. So even though this scene was in most of the the cuts, you know, I wrote it. I felt pretty good about it. I had to sit back and say, okay, he cut this. You didn't even notice. So what is this scene really doing? And at the end of the day, it did two things, I remember. It kind of introduced Amy a little bit better, but without it there, the scene where she shows up in what is now the movie works totally fine for her introduction. We don't lose anything, really. And then the other thing it set up was her and Juliet speak French to each other because they were both French women and... You know, that's their first language. And with when you're with someone who you both have a first language that isn't English, that's just what you speak, right? And I was like, okay, well, it kind of sets that up. But I was like, then at the same time, when it comes later in the movie anyways, you don't really question it because we know they're both French. So at the end of the day, as much as I kind of enjoyed the scene, it was kind of cute and whatnot. You have to say, if it's really not adding that much and you didn't even notice it not being there, then it probably has a reason to not be there, and it shouldn't be added back in. Yeah, I, I remember that specifically as well, just because I I think in earlier cuts, we did we did talk about it, and I'm, I think I mentioned, like, what's the point of this scene? Do we really need it? Can't we just cut it out? And then you, you were making kind of the same points of, like, why you wanted it to be there. And then when I did my editor's pass, I just knocked it right out of the movie. Was that the first thing you cut? Uh, no, I don't think so. There's probably little things here and there. But I remember when I got to that scene, I just selected the whole thing and pulled it right out. <laughs> this is fucking God. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the meat, to me, the meat of that moment was getting to the beach and really kind of enjoying that place. And I thought, I don't want to see these people talking in a car. And once they get to the beach, you see the same angle, and they're just talking in the car again. And I thought, no, let's just get straight to the point. Um, it's too much of the same. Yeah, I didn't feel like I, we were going to miss anything if that, that scene wasn't in the movie. But I always find those are just kind of instinctual things you do. Like, I didn't think this was going to change the film or do anything substantial to, like, you know, confuse the viewers or anything. I thought, you know, this is a fine scene, but it, it's not really doing anything for the movie and i think it's kind of slowing down the pace so let's just pull it right out so you know that was just kind of my thinking behind it i think people critically underestimate pace as well like it's it's one of the most important things i would think because if there's ever a point even think of a half hour tv show if there's a point where there's a lull or it's going too quickly just subconsciously you pick up on it It, there's something that just reads to your your heart and your brain as not bright so if you have these moments where much like the one we're talking about now where it's you know it's cute it technically works but it's not completely necessary then it's got to go because your audience is going to pick up on that whether it's they're a film buff watching it and saying, you know, oh, that kind of dragged, or they're just like, ah, oh, this is kind of getting a little dull. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pace, pace is just something that you have to... I think it's hard to gauge in the moment as you're doing it. You can't really feel it 
but you know when you watch like two or three scenes next to each other that's when you can really really get like a a sense of of the speed of a moment and stuff and you can really drag something out or or compress it um it it just depends on what you're trying to get across with the scene in the moment but i think you know the pace in general for a lot of moments in movies are pretty um set by the the style of the uh director like what they're trying to go for you know if if it's something that's supposed to be very kind of slow and you know contemplative that that's going to be consistent throughout the whole movie um you know i i think of something like um what is that movie called uh well for, you know for example like stranger than paradise like that jim jarmish film uh it's very like slow and long takes and not a lot of like editing um into the scene like you don't get a lot of like close up and then cut to another person it just plays out in wide shots but you get that from the beginning because it starts that way it starts with very kind of slow long wide shots where you see a lot of things happening in one frame and it stays consistent to the end of the film whereas something like taken three or something there's a point where liam neeson climbs a fence and you have like five different shots of him doing it (laughs) it's the action shot man but you know essentially you could do that in one or two shots at most three but there's like five angles of him climbing a fence and they cut between each other like 10 times or something it's crazy (laughs) and the moment is like you know four seconds (laughs) but it's gonna be consistent throughout the movie and i think um you know if you if you look at the average shot length of different movies they kind of really feel like the movies you know like if you know a movie by stanley kubrick is is probably going to have like nine to ten second shot lengths for the across the movie as an average and and it's going to feel that way you know like for the shining or something um but like a transformer movie is probably going to have a shot average of like three two to three seconds for for every shot um and the longest shot might be like six seconds and that's as long as it goes but like the, the pacing is really going to be set by the the director and also the i guess the style and genre of the movie but um i i do think when you're doing something in- interesting is when you're playing with that within a movie and really kind of trying different things with different scenes and stuff but you know it, it comes with experience but also with taste i guess yeah absolutely and you know experience can help with that a lot just like anything in the film game the more experience you have the the more you're gonna know about it and the more you're gonna be able to just instinctively try things that will probably work that's not a bad thing it's a good idea it's a good reason to go do a bunch of stuff right but let's back up quite a bit because i feel like we're going off on a tangent um so getting back to basics like I'm on DaVinci Resolve. I've got my timeline laid out and I have a rough cut. You know, from there, I think it's no secret that you just keep watching it, you keep refining, you keep refining. But when you're in that process 
and you don't know how to do X, Y, or Z. What I ended up doing was just hitting YouTube, hitting forums. A lot of the time, I found it was actually kind of difficult in the sense of I would find something and say, oh, okay, you know, here's a video of someone doing it. I'd go to do it, and I'd be like, weird, I can't find it. And then it would turn out that that was the DaVinci Resolve from 2017, and it's been changed to, you know, whatever version 10,100, whatever that it's on now. Mm -hmm. So finding the thing that works properly with the most up-to-date description or video could be a bit of a challenge, but largely, you know, I could find what I needed and I only needed to get a hold of you once. And that was for an exporting problem, right? Do you remember what that was? Um, oh yeah, I think you were exporting a version, but it kept sending out clips instead of a full timeline. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that says, that says a lot because granted it was only 55 seconds short, but you know, I probably spent 10 days editing it. And in those 10 days, from at day one, the only experience I had editing was being with you editing the movies we've done together. And that was just me, I would say, like, giving creative input. Like, I never touched a keyboard or a mouse or anything like that. The most I touched was I would point to a spot on the screen and say, what do you think of this? <laughs> you know? So in terms of, like, physical editing prowess I had zero I didn't know how the programs were so if I could get from day zero to day 10 with never having to bug you mm -hmm. what advice based off that would you give to future editors in terms of like just fucking get it done like what's the best way to just get it done I think you have, you have to spend like a huge amount of time in the actual program and and learn what everything does um and not on like a proper project that someone's hired you to do i mean just like you know throw some shit that you shot or just find some footage and throw it into the software and start doing stuff to it and start learning what all the different editing tools do you know like a ripple edit or you know sliding the shot left and right and up and down and you know messing with how the timeline stretches things and stuff you know learning all those tools to a point where you don't have to think about it um you know for me at, at this point like when i'm editing something if i want to do something or change something or swap something there's no how do i do this anymore early on you mm -hmm. think about oh what's the best way to achieve this now it's almost just like as soon as you want to do something, you just start doing it. And I'm thinking less about how to, and I'm thinking more about the actual work, you know, the actual project I'm working on. I'm thinking about, oh, I want this cut to start a little sooner, and maybe we can slide this three frames that way and, and fade in the audio. I'm not thinking about how do I do that. I just do it. It's kind of at the, you know, um, point where you're, you're not really... Well, I like to think about it like it's almost like you're typing, like editing has become like typing. You just know what you're trying to do and you just start like putting the, you know, the the input into the keyboard and it just starts doing what you want it to do. It's almost like there's no lag time between what you're thinking and what you're doing. So yeah, it's muscle memory. You want to be able to edit at that speed. 
because really you're you're trying to make a film. You're not trying to do anything else. Like ultimately, it's about putting a um, a logical, you know, narrative together. And if the tool is like confusing, or if you're finding a hard time figuring out how to do something, then there's no way you're going to be able to to get what you're trying to do done at the at the highest level even now when i'm editing i'm trying to get faster drives because every time there's an auto save and it takes like five seconds that's too much time for me um (laughs) because i'm like ah i was just about to like do this thing or, or or do something to the cut and then i have to wait five seconds and that five seconds is creatively stifling me whereas if i don't have to worry about that i can just you know keep going it's almost like an endless process like by the time you know from from starting an edit to finishing there's no like lag time you're just like going through it um but when you're just starting you're gonna be sitting and looking and reading a lot of shit all the time and it's kind of unbelievable how much time you spend looking at how to edit and not actually doing it so you know for anyone starting off to spend like huge amount of time in in the program and learn everything that it can do so you don't have to think about it anymore yeah and to that note too like don't expect yourself to be incredible at it right off the bat just like anything else in life right like you're gonna do it you're gonna load up the program you're gonna be like what the fuck is this this is a bunch of stuff i have no idea what what it does and then just start picking away at it like slowly learn and then slowly learn again and then it'll get to a point where you know you know a decent amount of stuff and then just keep cutting stuff over and over and over again and i know i say this as someone that's only caught cut one short together but you know every other disciple that i've done whether it be filmmaking in you know my personal life or music whatever it is it all takes experience and practice so don't beat yourself up if you listen to this and then you're like, oh, I'm going to make a short and you go try and edit something and your first one doesn't come out well or you find editing really difficult. A lot of this stuff is really, really difficult. But if you just keep putting in the hours, you will get better and you will learn to do them. Yeah. And and you also have to want to do it as well, I think. Yeah, big time. You know, being an editor and, and doing that properly is going to really take the right kind of mentality and and person i you know I, I think some directors edit and they're really good at it but i think a lot of directors will try to edit and just kind of assume it's like learning what the buttons are and i think that's like the worst approach to actually doing it because it undervalues what an editor actually does um there's a, there's a lot more than just knowing the buttons you know because like i said you can get to a point where you're not thinking about it anymore and you, you can just do it um instantly but if you make bad choices and um you have a shitty sense of timing you'll just be really quick at doing shitty edits and i don't think that's really useful <laughs> so it, it is kind of about knowing the tools as well as having the kind of eye for it um, and, and, and kind of understanding what that kind of 
it's hard to describe, but there's just this kind of feeling of you know when to cut something and you know when to leave something longer. Like, I don't think about that when I'm watching a take. I just kind of know when to cut out of that shot or something. It's just kind of a natural feeling that you have. Um, so, so I think that's something that develops along with like learning the tools, but you have to really want to do that because there are a lot of people out there who can kind of do the basics of editing, which is fine, but there's, there's a craft to it that I think you have to kind of attune yourself to. And it, it does come with watching films and, and really thinking about editing and stuff. And there's also a lot of like technical things um, that kind of bleed into VFX and stuff too. Like I do a lot of like stitching of shots together and, you know, in, in short films that I've made, I've stitched two different takes together of the same shot. Um, so I can get two different parts of a thing happening at the same time or something and, and masked and done a bit of like rotoscoping and stuff like that. And that's all kind of loosely tied into the same kind of work. So, um, learning about that and learning about composition and framing and the kind of different effects you can do. That's all part of it as well. And at some point, um, if you're working with an editor, you can ask them what the possibilities are. Like, what can we do with the shot? How can we adjust this? Or how can we get more impact out of something? Um, and I, and I, when we're talking about stuff like that, I think about someone like Thelma Schoonmaker who edits Scorsese's films. She does a lot of interesting things in her work. So editing is really more involved than just learning how to press the buttons. So if, you, if you're going to go for it, then you have to really love doing that kind of work. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're not a, a robot, right? And a great editor is a great storyteller, too. Um, I think that's something that can't be undervalued by any means also just based off what you said i would love to see an ad where it's like editor available for hire i'm not very good but i will do it really really quickly <laughs> like that would just crack me up well there's probably a lot of people looking for that out there <laughs> yeah there might be. i don't need this to be cut well i just need to be cut really fast <laughs> that is great <laughs> All right, so I'm going to ask the question that I teased a little bit earlier, and it's something that I had thought of and pondered even before I had tried editing this short. Um, what do you think is more important? Someone that is excellent at all the commands, you know, can do transitions and special effects and all that kind of stuff or someone that's a great storyteller for editing hmm. you know I think at a certain level it's got to be a combination of both oh it does I, but I'm just throwing out the hypothetical of like if you had to go to the extremes. You know, I, that's tough. It depends on the kind of project you're working on, I guess. You know, if you had a really, 
I think it, you would be stifled if you're a great storyteller but didn't know how to use the tools. Um, you know, it, it would be like, you know, you just really know good storytelling, but you, you're not able to accomplish a simple edit or something, or or cut a sequence properly, or, or you take like seven hours to do it. I, I don't think that's very useful, and it would probably stifle your creativity. Um, whereas if you're a really fast, shitty editor, you actually might be able to keep doing it until it becomes something decent. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe you have like a crazy director on your shoulder who's going to keep barking orders at you until it's good. Um, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to give an answer there. But, you know, I think... I think if you're a good storyteller, you can learn how to edit and learn all the all the tricks that the program can do for you over time. That's probably the benefit you'll have. But I think if you don't keep up with the tools and how they're changing, then you're going to limit yourself in a huge way and you, and you probably won't utilize um, the tool you're using to, to the, the fullest potential and, and that's probably a problem too so um, yeah there's no, there's no clear choice for me there but I don't think you can just have one of those skills you have to really be good with the tool and you have to also have just you know a second nature for storytelling yep yeah it's a, it's a pretty great answer um, all right. Well, I have one more question for you, but before that, is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, I think there's a great book out there and I've, I've read it many times and I think it's a, a good starting point for anyone who's interested in editing or who's maybe already editing, but want to learn a little more. And it's Walter Murch's book in the blink of an eye. It's a fantastic book that gives you some technical but also just some theory about film editing and and what you're able to do with it and i think it's it's probably an essential for anyone who's interested in editing films all right i dig it i think i'm gonna have to pick it up okay so the last question for you i am hypothetical filmmaker b i come up to you and say you know hey i'm gonna make short should I edit it myself? I've never edited. What do you say? And obviously they don't have a big budget. Yeah. You know, for someone starting off early and trying to just get into this, I would say, yes, edit your first short film because your first short film will probably suck. But (laughs) I just picture you like, look, dude, I could sit here and I could give you this spiel. But your movie's going to suck, so just do it yourself. <laughs> well, your movie will probably not be great anyways, but I think in trying to cut it together, you learn a lot. You learn about how films are made and how important the editing process is, but you also learn about whether you like that process or not and whether you want to hire someone for the next one. You know, some people might give a give a shot at editing something and be like, you know, I really hate this. It's not for me. I need someone to actually like do this work for me. Who who's got like the the right understanding of this process? 
And that's actually a good way to learn is to try to cut something yourself. I do think everyone should try to cut something themselves if they're going to try to be a filmmaker. But um, yeah, I'd say go for it. And then also work with an experienced editor and see what they bring to the table. Yeah. Yep. I dig it. So when would you recommend someone doesn't cut together their own stuff? Uh, when there's a lot riding on the project, when it's an important project. Um, I guess it depends on your, on your level of skill. You know, like I personally, like I edit everything I shoot just cause I'm really comfortable doing that. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm going to ruin the project if I edit it. I feel like it's only going to be stronger because I really know the footage and I've got a lot of experience editing as well. But say you're a first time filmmaker, you've made a few shorts here and there, you've got some editing skills and stuff, but you're not someone that is like a, an editor, but you know how to use the tools and you know, you're going to make your first feature film at that point you have to ask yourself, can I do this? Do I trust myself? Or should I just get an actual editor and, and work with them through the process? I personally would say, don't cut it yourself. You might make an okay film, but when you get a really good editor, they're going to do things that you probably never would have thought about doing and, and just know so much more about the process. Um, I think someone who kind of knows editing can always cut together an okay version of something, something acceptable. I think a good editor takes something and brings it to another level. They really elevate the work and and they just they do something that your average person won't be able to do. Um I think it's just harder because they're not necessarily creating anything from scratch. They're taking recorded material and kind of forming it into something else. Um with a cinematographer it's very easy to be like Dude, don't shoot shoot it yourself. Get a real cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same value has to be put on an editor. Um, whereas you're not actually seeing what they do until it's actually finished. But when you get to see the work of an editor over time and get to see the, the kind of choices they've made, that's when you really get to know. But, you know, uh, it, it's something you have to think about pretty deep before you actually get to that point, so... Yeah. Well, I'd say that's a great answer, and I would also say that that's a great place to call it a wrap on Yield episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for shining all the editing light on us, Latif. I think, honestly, like when someone listens to this episode, especially if there's someone that's con- contemplating going down this route and, you know, diving into the deep end of editing, I think they're going to get a lot out of it. All right, and until next week, I am Matt Ralston. And I'm Latif. And we'll see you next week. Okay, peace out. Bye.